welcome to one more episode of Long Story Short with Dr. Mubeen Sayed from the FLCCC platform. The discussion today is about the chronic inflammation. I am seeing this a lot nowadays that there are organizations that are offering various markers and panels to help you figure out if you are in the chronic illness or inflammatory state. Some of those markers actually do not make sense to me. And I thought it is important for us as physicians, clinicians or patients to understand what is the inflammatory process, what causes chronic inflammation and what are the labs that are the most important for the chronic inflammation and what labs may be just more fanciful way of looking at things and not really directly related. So that is the basic discussion. Let's start with the context so the way we'll do this discussions, it's a series. First, in this series, we'll discuss the epidemiology or the prevalence of the disease, chronic illnesses. We'll look at the main factors of the chronic illnesses. I'll give you a cheat sheet. Then we would actually go in how inflammation occurs. And then we would go deeper into how chronic inflammations occur. So let's start our discussion. So references, this is an article published in 2021 or updated in 2021 and I'll use a part of this article for the epidemiology. This is a good article in Washington Post about the chronic inflammation and its outcomes. I would love this and all of these links are present with this video. This is an article in Nature where they talk about what are the possible reasons for chronic inflammation and what are the outcomes. So it's a beautiful diagram and then there are some more links as well. So first of all, epidemiology. About 50% of the deaths worldwide are by the diseases that can be attributed to chronic inflammations. It is thought that in the US, about 60% of the population has at least one chronic inflammatory condition. And I believe more than 20% have two or more chronic inflammatory diseases or illnesses. So can you imagine this? More than half of the population in the US has at least one chronic inflammatory illness or illness that is attributable to chronic inflammation. So I think it is really important for all of us, regardless of who we are, clinicians or not clinicians, to understand what is inflammation, how does it occur, what are the important markers of it, and what are the lifestyle, diet, and therapeutic managements for this. So a quick cheat sheet. There are many factors for the chronic inflammations, but quick cheat sheet is the following. Number one, if you think about the inflammation for a second, inflammation is actually a very simple process and that is the principal process of our body to remove pathogens or microbes or infecting agents and to repair damaged tissue is called inflammation. So it is a very important process. And intermittently, that is every once in a while, it occurs in our body, takes care of some infection or damaged tissue and then helps us get back to normal. If for some reason, if you look here in the first one, if for some reason the inflammatory system is unable to remove a pathogen or a microbe, then we will enter a chronic cycle of inflammation. For example, tuberculosis and there are many other such cases. Nowadays with covid or with vaccines, there are some possibilities as well. But look at vaccines separately because vaccine doesn't have a pathogen in it. But long COVID could be either the pathogen or the remnants of the pathogens or disregulation of the cells. So first of all, the pathogen. Number two, 
let's say our enzymes in the body and the immune system cells are not able to digest or break down the toxic substances or irritants that we are exposed to. So normally what happens is if we have a toxic substance enter our body, our immune system cells, immune system proteins and enzymes, they work together to digest, break it down and clear it. But in some cases it doesn't happen. For example, nowadays with COVID, there is a COVID or vaccines. There are possibilities of some toxic pieces left in the body which act as irritants and are not removed easily. That would result in chronic inflammation. So here, inability to remove the irritant or toxic substances. Another example other than COVID will be, for example, silica dust, which causes silicosis. And now we have chronic inflammation because of that, because our body is not able to remove that dust easily. Then we all know this, autoimmune diseases. So sometimes our immune system looks at some part of our body or some tissue and decides that this tissue is unknown, it is a foreign material and I should attack it and remove it. And now of course it is our body's tissue, so that tissue is not going to be removed. For example, let's say it is kidney or blood vessels or heart or pancreas or joint surfaces. And now immune system is trying to attack and remove it, it will not be removed and now we will enter a chronic state of inflammation. Now this attack on the tissues sometimes is by birth that we have some autoimmune disorders and sometimes these are acquired that we didn't have it but then we developed it later on. Then there are possibilities of gene defects. In the gene defects there are many many kind of cellular abnormalities where the cell, immune system cell, for example, is not functioning correctly or does not need a trigger to be active. For example, familial Mediterranean fever is a disease in which macrophages continue to develop inflammasomes and keep releasing inflammatory markers in the environment without any trigger to them. And the reason is that they have an abnormality in their gene expressions. And we know that there are many diseases, again, COVID or even vaccines can cause dysregulation of a normal healthy immune system and then that immune system enters a chronic cycle of activity and remission and activity again. Then sometimes we feel that there is a chronicity of the inflammation while actually we are exposed to the offending agent again and again repeatedly. So for example, again I'm giving the examples of COVID nowadays because that is a prevalent issue, pandemic is going on. Imagine if we continue to become exposed to SARS-CoV-2 repeatedly. So then we'll have the symptoms of the disease, but we might think that this is just a chronic outcome. And finally, there are so many things that are put together in one bucket. For example, there can be toxic substances, for example, uric acid crystals, or there can be diets that are inducers of inflammation. Those diets that increase the energy levels, those diets that produce reactive oxygen species or nitrogen species or glycation products, carbohydrates for example and so on, these can cause a heightened immune system activity resulting in inflammation. Lifestyle, stress levels, obesity, hormonal dysregulations related to stress or hard work or overwork. Hard work doesn't cause too much overwork. These can possibly trigger chronic inflammation. Anything that will make more free radicals. And where would we get more free radical? Anything that gives us more energy. Anything that causes mitochondrial dysregulation. Anything that causes the Krebs cycle dysregulation or electron chain dysregulation will cause these kind of issues. Then substances that cause 
एडवांस्ड ग्लाइकेशन एंड प्रोडक्ट्स दैट मेक एज प्रोडक्ट्स व्हाट आर दीज ग्लाइकेशन एंड प्रोडक्ट्स ग्लाइकेशन मोस्ट ऑफ द टाइम द फूड प्रेपरेशन वेयर वी बर्न पार्ट ऑफ द फूड फॉर एग्जांपल वी ग्रिल इट और वी बेक इट और वी सोटे इट और वी फ्राई इट सच फूड्स विल डेवलप ए हायर लेवल ऑफ एज प्रोडक्ट्स इन दम ऑन द अदर हैंड the plant based diets but again even in the plant based we have to be careful about carbohydrates which are also plant based diets plant based diets or foods prepared in moist heat for example with soups or with water these have generally lower levels of age units in them from the new york state's age unit measurement they say that any food that contains more than 15000 units of age molecules or age products in them that is called high age diet and again as i discussed we will do these discussions more in depth this is a cheat sheet if you just want to understand what can cause chronic inflammation then here are some reasons for why a person will have in that chronic inflammatory state so you would hear from some people to say my body is mostly in the inflammatory state inflamed state i have muscle aches or pains or joint aches and if i eat this food i get a flare up so important thing is what is happening under the hood and these are some of the possibilities let me show you one reference where they have lined up a few more so for example this one over here causes and consequences of low grade systemic chronic inflammation and here chronic inflammation as shown on the left the most common triggers of sci systemic chronic inflammation in counter clockwise order or direction include chronic infections we discussed that physical inactivity we didn't discuss it but inactivity is an important one visceral obesity and obesity causes hormonal dysregulation which in turn causes increased carbohydrate levels or increased insulin resistance which then causes increased carbohydrate levels which then causes inflammation intestinal dysbiosis diet social isolation psychological stress disturbed sleep disrupted cardiac rhythm and exposure to xenobiotics for example air pollutants hazardous waste products and so on so there are multiple reasons that can cause the chronic inflammation so now you have a cheat sheet if you wanted to understand why then here are the basic causative triggers now we are going to go into the actual process of inflammation what is inflammation how does it occur what are the markers of inflammation and then we'll tie it back to how do you do the labs and how do you manage it so let's start with the process of inflammation so as i said before it is the principal process of our body mainly run by innate arm of our immune system at some point the acquired arm will participate as well especially t helper cells and regulatory cells can participate in the inflammatory process but the main controller and initiator of inflammatory process is the innate arm of the immune system and it is triggered against pathogens or microbes and it is just going to try to remove them and it is triggered against the or for the damaged tissue now damaged tissue could occur because there are infections or it could occur for other reasons for example an accident or exposure to an irritant and so on so if we have tissue damage for example if you see here this little red cell over here is cancerous cell 
here are some irritant substances that have entered the tissue and are going to damage it. There may be some pathogens that are going to arrive and damage it. So tissue damage, whatever is the reason, or the presence of microbes, that is a trigger for the innate arm to start the process of inflammation to remove the causative agent and to repair the damaged area. The objectives, why is the inflammation done? Inflammation is done to remove or kill the microbes and to remove them and to do the tissue repair, as I just said. Now, what are the processes or how does it happen? So beginning of the process, this is very, very important. So now we're going to talk about things that you have to look at each one of them and say, so what, how does it matter? Why does it matter to me for chronic inflammation? If you're a clinician, you would look at these and say, okay, how does this apply to my patient? Because every single diagram now and the part of the process now that we'll discuss will have some tie in towards the management. So first, in our tissues, almost all the tissues, we have special innate arm cells which are called sentinel cells. Sentinel cells are the sensing cells in our body. They sense for microbes and they sense for damaged tissue. Examples, mast cells, macrophages, dendritic cells, more cells as well. But these are the three primary cells that are sitting around in almost every tissue. And they are just continuously looking at the environment to make sure there is nothing offending or wrong or damaging. And if there is, then they would go to work to try to help it. Now, the similar cells, the same cells, for example, in the liver, the macrophages are called liver's kupfer cells. Spleen has macrophages as well. Brain has its own immune system. It is privileged site. It does not allow the body's immune system to interfere with it. So brain has its own cells. And so microglial cells of the brain, you can say equivalent to the macrophages in the remaining body's tissues. Then we have macrophages that are present in the alveoli of the respiratory system. Over there, these are also called dust cells. Then there are macrophages in the peritoneal cavity or our abdominal cavity. Then there are Langerhans cells present under the skin or epithelial surfaces under the mucous membranes and the skins. So there are the point of this diagram. There are innate arm cells that can start inflammation present everywhere. That means if you know how to help them, manage them, keep them happy, then you would know how to keep the inflammation at a lower level or not damaging in the absence of a trigger. When there is a trigger, when there is a need and inflammation occurs, it's a good thing. But when there is no need for inflammation or when the level of inflammation needed is lesser than the inflammation intensity that is occurring, then we have a problem and we need to manage it. So keep these cells in mind, mast cells, macrophages, dendritic cells. Now, how does this work now? Imagine that there is a tissue where there is a pathogen that has arrived and there is tissue damage. So if you see here on the left side, these sentinel cells, macrophages, mast cells, dendritic cells, these cells have special receptors on them which are called toll-like receptors or TLRs. The TLR receptors are further divided into various kind of receptors. For example, these cells have special TLR type receptors that are specialized to detect damaged tissue. So I made a little cell over here that is broken. And this broken cell, you can see the nucleus showing from it. The remaining cell has become broken and the guts of the cell, the molecules and the fluids 
and the, some pieces of messenger RNA that were present, maybe even some pieces of DNA, some mitochondria, some cytochrome C from within the mitochondria. So these parts of the cell have spilled out. These sentinel cells have the receptors which are called damage-associated pattern recognition receptors or DAMP receptors. So these damage-associated molecules or damage-associated molecular patterns are called DAMPs and then there are receptors for DAMPs. So that is how a cell that is sitting around in the tissue will know if there is tissue damage. Similarly, if you see on the right side, it's a similar cell sitting around and it is able to look at a pathogen, for example, SARS-CoV-2 or for example, Streptococcus or Staphylococcus or whatever. It can sense a pathogen's presence by pathogen-associated molecular pattern receptors or PAMP receptors. PAMPs are pathogen-associated molecular pattern. Every pathogen has certain patterns that are not present in our body and these cells are able to detect those patterns and say, all right, there is a pathogen here, I need to respond. So, first step. Number one, there were cells present in the tissue. Number two, when the tissue is invaded by a pathogen or tissue is damaged for whatever reason, then these cells have now become active and they have detected the problem. So what? Then what? Once the problem is detected, these cells would start releasing chemical molecules. These chemical substances or molecules are generally called cytokines. Cytokines are the chemical molecules released by the immune system cells primarily but they can be released by other cells involved in the damage that is happening. For example, endothelial cells, some epithelial cells and so on. Most of the time cytokines are released by dendritic cells, but macrophages, mast cells also release them. Now what are these cytokines? Again, clinicians and patients, please keep this in mind. Maybe take a screenshot of this. In the links that I've provided, these are present there as well. For the reference book, any immunology book, I'm doing this inflammation not from pathology but from immunology. So this is the immunology of inflammation, a very important topic. So any immunology book would have these cytokines and more in that. So tumor necrosis factor, interleukin 1, 12, interferon alpha and beta, interleukin 10, 6, 15, 18, 23, 27 are the cytokines released in these out of the whole list what would I request you to keep in mind? TNF, tumor necrosis factor, interleukin 1, interleukin 6. We'll talk again and again about them. So for the time being, forget the other ones. At some point, we are going to talk about interferons as well because these are really important for protection from viruses. Then these cells can also produce chemokines. The difference between a cytokine and a chemokine, so generally all these molecules that are released are cytokines. However, there are some molecules whose job is to act as a messenger to call other immune system cells to the area of damage or infection. So such chemical substances that would cause the movement of other cells are called chemokines. So here we have many kinds of chemokines and we keep finding new. So for example, CCL type chemokine ligands. Ligands are something that can bind with the chemokine receptor. Number 2, 3, 4, 5, 11, 17, 19, 21, 22, 25, 27. 4, 5 are interesting in here. Then CXCL, 1, 8, 9, 10, 12, 13. 
then XCL1, which are called lymphotectins, and then CX3CL1 are also called fractal kines. So what is the takeaway over here? Many times when a physician, a clinician is going to help a patient with acute inflammation or chronic inflammation, they will target cells or they would target the chemical molecules and or they would target the chemical molecules. So the cells, we talked some of them, there are going to be more later on, but we talked some of them that are the beginning of the inflammation. And now we're looking at some molecules here as well. In these molecules, I would once again repeat, tumor necrosis factor, interleukin-1, interleukin-6 are important. Now these cytokines that are released, so I'll repeat it, we have a tissue, tissue has the cells, sentinel cells always present, tissue has a pathogen or a damaged part, that damage triggered these cells, cells produce cytokines or and or chemokines. Now the question is, what are these cytokines going to do? So if you see here, here is a cell, it's a sentinel cell, maybe let's call it a dendritic cell. It is producing now some chemokines or cytokines. These cytokines can act on the neighboring cells. If that happens, this process is called paracrine action of the cytokine. So when a chemical substance released from a cell works on the next door cell, then it is called a paracrine action. But if that chemical substance enters a blood vessel, then travels through the blood vessel to a distant part in our body and then acts on some tissue in the distant part, then that is called an endocrine function. So immune system can cause endocrine activity by releasing its cytokines that would go somewhere else. For, for example, the interleukin-1 produced at the site of damage or infection can go to liver, hypothalamus, bone marrow, and influence them to do various things. Tumor necrosis factor can do that. Interleukin-6 can do that. Those CCLs can do that. So majority of these chemical substances can spill into the blood vessels, go to other parts and activate or influence the other tissues. Now there is another problem here, and that is once these chemokines or cytokines are released, cytokines we're talking about, and they affect other cells, either in the immediate vicinity or in the other places, then those cells that are affected in turn can produce even more cytokines. And that is how the process of inflammation starts increasing, increasing in intensity and scale enough to take care of the microbe and to repair the tissue. Then it would regulate itself and ramp down and go away. But sometimes that ramping down and going away does not happen. And this intensity either just keep escalating till the person dies or it just simmers for a long time till and the person ends up having a chronic inflammatory state. So now the cytokines, which we just saw that these are released by these innate arm cells or sentinel cells, what are their primary roles? What are the big categories of actions? Number one, local inflammation. So as I said, these cytokines can work on the local neighboring cells and activate them. Then even when these cytokines go to the remote areas, they would start helping cells come back into the local tissue, more WBCs to arrive there and inflammatory process to occur. The local blood vessels under the influence of these cytokines can become more permeable and the fluids and the nutrients and the other substances will be spilling into this tissue. And that is why we start developing redness and swelling and there is a fight happening, right? So that is local inflammation under the influence of these cytokines. What does that mean then? 
if there is inflammation going on, you can control the cytokines and in a hope to try to control the local inflammations as well. There is always going to be a balance to see that you don't manage it so downward, you don't suppress it so much that when there is a legitimate reason to have inflammation, then there is no cells or they are suppressed that they cannot actually act. So you have to have that balance. So this is one role, local inflammation. Second is to reduce the viral replications. So as I discussed briefly before, interferons released from the virally infected cells or damaged cells can actually influence the next door cells and tell these cells, the next door cells or neighboring cells, to reduce their machinery's activity that may be used by the virus for replication. So this is like if you shout from your home to the next door home to say, turn off your electricity, there may be some issue and the electricity may cause sparks. So similarly here, one cell is telling the other one to say, do not take part in the replications. You might think it is your own work you are doing, but it is actually virus that is replicating. So replicative processes can be brought down by messages from one cell to the other through interferons. Then the cytokines would also have the job of activating the acquired arm of the immune system. And we know that immune system runs or has two primary arms, we call them. One is the innate arm. Innate arm is something that starts right away as soon as the injury or microbe is seen. Within a couple of hours, it is active and it is causing the local inflammation. That's what we're talking about. At the same time, innate arm cells produce cytokines, plus they interact with the acquired arm cells and they activate the acquired arm, especially the helper cells, which the helper cells in turn will activate more deeper cells in the adaptive arm, that is B cells or cytotoxic T cells. So activating the helper cells is also the function of the inflammatory process and cytokines are one part of it. So again, if you said, so what? So what is the following? That if there is a control over these cytokines, then not only the immediate innate arm activity can be controlled, the cytokines can be controlled, adaptive arm can be controlled, and local inflammation can be controlled. Now, continuing with this discussion, we have the cells in the tissue. Those cells saw the issue, either microbe or damaged cell, they produce a cytokine. Cytokines have various roles to do. Now, which cytokines are more important? All of them are very important. That's why our body uses them. But here are the three important ones for, to consider today. Number one, tumor necrosis factor alpha. Where is it released by or what cells release it? The cells that release this are macrophages, dendritic cells, mast cells. Other cells can also produce that, produce tumor necrosis factor. Once the tumor necrosis factor is released, it is called tumor necrosis factor because it was observed to reduce the tumor cell growth by causing apoptosis and necrosis, necrosis means cell death, of the tumor cells. And it turned out later on that tumor necrosis factor can cause cell swelling and obstruct the blood flow to the tumor and resulting in tumor cell death. That is why we call it tumor necrosis factor. So this is why it is actually used. Tumor necrosis factor is a major contributor to the chronic diseases. That is why it is important to realize and know how to manage 
through tumor necrosis factor modulation. And this is why majority or a lot of new therapies for chronic diseases are actually taking advantage of tumor necrosis factor modulations. So if you take away one thing from today, that is there are cells like mast cell, dendritic cells and macrophages that are important to control. And then there is this molecule TNF that is important to control. Okay, so now TNF, what does it do? Tumor necrosis factor. It activates the endothelial cells. When endothelial cells are the inner cells of the blood vessel surfaces, inner surfaces. When the endothelial cells are activated, they would cause increased permeability of blood vessel, more cells would enter the site of inflammation, more molecules, more proteins, more fluids, more nutrition. And sometimes we don't want it. We want the inflammation to stop. So they activate endothelial cells. Endothelial cell activation also means that the cells would now grab more WBCs from the blood, like fishing them and push them towards the inflammatory site. Neutrophil activation. Neutrophils are another set of innate arm cells. They are actually the most abundant innate arm cells present in the blood circulation. And then when the inflammation starts, these neutrophils are captured from within the blood and they are asked to go into the inflammatory system area, inflammatory site area, and then cause their own contribution, which can be damaged as well. Most of the time it is helpful. So neutrophil activation, liver TNF acts on the liver cells and liver cells in response produce proteins which are called acute phase protein. These proteins are the response of the liver to help with the inflammation in the acute stage. CRP, for example, many of us know them from the SARS-CoV-2. So that means if you are looking at somebody's inflammatory state, what are you going to look at? Tumor necrosis factor levels are important then CRP levels are important because you are seeing that the liver is responding and how much is it responding? And did it respond transiently and then the response goes down or it, is the response just continuing to increase? Then tumor necrosis factor works on hypothalamus and what it does is it changes this, the temperature set point of hypothalamus which in turn causes hypothalamus to become disoriented about the temperature and try to increase the temperature because the set point has changed and we start developing fever. Now, fever is generally a good thing for fighting with the infections. And there's a different lecture for how temperature, increased temperature helps with the viruses and bacteria to fight them and helps the immune system to work more. But that's what happens in hypothalamus with TNF. Interleukin-1 does that too. Then tumor necrosis factor works on the muscle cells and it causes the fats of the muscle to break down. It causes fat catabolism and that would if it continues to happen in, for a long time, for example, if somebody has cancers or tumors and TNF is produced a lot and that goes and works on the muscles, then the person would start getting the muscle wasting or what we call cachexia. Then tumor necrosis factor can work on many other cells and cause them to die. It can cause apoptosis. The point of this molecule was to cause apoptosis in the tumor cells, but it can cause other cells apoptosis or death as well. Very briefly, interleukin-1 and 6 as well are important. Interleukin-1 is released by macrophages, endothelium, some epithelium. Endothelium is again inner surface of the blood vessel wall cells. Epithelium are any surface cells, surface cells of our body. That may be, for example, skin cells or the mucous membranes here. These are all epithelial cells. They can also release interleukin-1. Interleukin-6, macrophages, endothelium and T cells. Remember T helper 2 cells, 
produce interleukin-6, which in turn would help the B cell to differentiate. And we'll discuss those later on as well. Now, interleukin-1 activates endothelium. It activates liver to produce acute phase proteins. It activates hypothalamus or influences hypothalamus to change the set point for temperature and helps produce fever. Then interleukin-6 works on the B cells to differentiate them so that there are more B cells and they're producing more antibodies and there is a presence of antibodies, which once again will cause the removal of the microbe and also help with the damaged tissue removal. But at the same time, this can end up causing inflammation as well. Now, tumor necrosis factor is also induced by the microbes. Finally, the sequence of events in inflammation. This is the last part of the topic and then we stop. So what happens is, here is a sentinel cell. That cell has sensed some problem, either presence of a pathogen or damaged tissue. Let's say this is a mast cell. It has now released histamine and prostaglandins. Those histamines and prostaglandins will be then acting on the local endothelial, capillary endothelial cells. Every tissue has capillaries in them to provide nutrients and to take away the garbage or trash. So once the endothelial cells are activated, they would shrink and produce gaps between them through which substance exchange can occur, which would increase the congestion in that area. At the same time, blood flow would increase because the diameter would increase for the capillaries as well. The capillaries would dilate. Blood flow would increase. More nutrients would come in more white blood cells would pass through this, which we can fish and bring them in the inflammatory area and so on. More antibodies will come in, more collectin proteins would come in. These are part of the innate arm inflammatory response proteins. More complement system proteins, which are produced by the liver, also part of the acute phase reaction. Then more pentraxins would come in. So all of those would actually contribute to inflammation, which may or may not be good. In many cases, it is good, but in some cases, this can become bad. Now, after the capillary, if you continue on towards the heart, then the capillary will then continue with another small blood vessel called venule. Venule will then take the blood to bring it in the vein and then finally back to the heart. The tumor necrosis factor and interleukin-1 that is released by cells, as we saw above, dendritic cells, macrophages, endothelium, some other cells, right? That tumor necrosis factor and interleukin-1 acts on the cells of the venule. I'm not talking about capillary anymore. I'm talking about venule. When it, these work on venule, what they do is, in general, the venule cell or endothelial cells, imagine they will pop, they will pop an arm and a hand inwards in the blood. This is like if you sit next to a river and you pop your hand in the river in a hope to catch fish. That is what these cells are going to do. The blood is passing through the venule, so that is a river. And the cells are just sitting there on the side because they're making this the blood vessel wall surface. And now they have popped proteins that are now hanging in the blood stream. What are these proteins going to do? They're going to try to catch WBCs or white blood cells and encourage them to go into the site of inflammation. So what are these hands that are popped? So there are molecules that are called integrin ligands. Integrins are, is from integration. That is when two cells bind with each other. So integrin ligands are popped. Then selectins, E-selectins are popped. Then intracellular adhesion molecule or ICAM1 are popped. 
vascular adhesion molecule or VCAM1 are popped. So there are many molecules that are popped on the surfaces of endothelium. This is what we mean by endothelial activation. Shrinkage of the endothelial cell plus special proteins appearing on the surface of these cells. So what happens? So here, imagine this is an endothelial cell. It has popped the cell adhesion molecules. And here were some leisurely carefree WBCs running around in the blood vessels. Now when WBCs are passing through this part of the blood circulation, this part that is passing through a damaged tissue or infected tissue, then in this part, the blood vessel has this extra chemical substances pouring in from the tissue. These are the cytokines and chemokines. So especially, let's say, tumor necrosis factor. So when the tumor necrosis factor is present, not only it is activating the endothelial cells, it is also activating the WBC cell present in the blood vessel. And these WBC cells would also open up their arms. What are their arms? Their arms are also integrins and cell adhesion molecules. So now these integrins and cell adhesion molecules are present or have become opened and expressed on the WBCs, white blood cells, neutrophils and helper cells and other cells of immune system. These cell adhesion molecules are also on the endothelial cells, so they start binding with each other. And this is a very complex process and I think a lecture in itself that how do these cells marginate and then they roll and then they stop and then they drill a tiny hole in the blood vessel and enter the area. So I'm just only going to say here, these cells start binding to the endothelium, then they stop when they stop, they would drill a hole or if there is a local gap between the cells available, they'll pass through that and they would enter the tissue. This is called transmigration. This is also called extravasation of the white blood cells from the blood to the tissue. Now, these extra white blood cells that have arrived, the armies have arrived to the tissue to function. These are called inflammatory infiltrate. So if you are as a clinician, trying to prevent the inflammatory infiltrate, then what are you going to do? Number one, modulate the TNF. Number two, modulate the production of WBCs if the situation is becoming too bad. So then your question will be, how do I modulate the production of WBCs? And that is where we go here. So now what happens is, we are producing TNF, but we also know that we produce interleukin 1 and 6. These molecules will now do the endocrine function that is through the blood, they would reach bone marrow. So at the bottom of the screen, these are bone marrow cells. Bone marrow cells have stem cells in them. The definition of a stem cell is that it can make more of its own kind, plus it can make more of a newer kind of cells. So the stem cells over here are making red blood cells and the WBCs and platelets and so on. There are other factors that are also coming in from liver and from the damaged tissue, and these are called colony-stimulating factors. For example, macrophages release GMCSF, granulocyte monocyte colony stimulating factors. When that molecule comes in to the bone marrow, it would stimulate those stem cells in the bone marrow that would make more granulocytes and more monocytes, more macrophages and more innate system cells. So now these tumor necrosis factor, interleukin 1, interleukin 6, some colony stimulating factors they all come in and influence the bone marrow to make more white blood cells or immune system cells. Now, the most immediately, most rapidly produced cells are neutrophils. Those neutrophils will become very quickly abundantly available and they are the ones that would make 
in most cases, the primary infiltrate that would go in and start fighting. In some cases, it's not the neutrophil, but monocytes that become more prevalent. We'll discuss those later on. So this is the cellular arrival. Now, at the end of this, we'll continue our discussion in the series next that once the cells have arrived in here, then how the fight happens and how do you modulate them? We'll talk about the regulation of this area. We'll talk about how does inflammation goes down and we'll talk about if that fails, how does a continuous inflammation occurs or chronic inflammation occurs. Now, what are the takeaways? I'm stopping here today. What are the takeaways? The takeaways are, please keep an eye on the patient's TNF, interleukin-1, interleukin-6, maybe some colony-stimulating factors, but before the colony-stimulating factors, look at their blood panel to see the WBC counts. So that is the discussion. The target to further control will be mast cell, dendritic cell, and macrophages as well. Thank you very much. We will continue our discussion in the next episode.